Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Just a couple of quick reminders. Uh, Christmas Eve services. We will have two services, one at 3 p.m. and one at 5 p.m. Uh, it's a very important time. It's a very uh, wonderful tradition in a family. And I would encourage you to be a part of that, uh, be a part of one of those services, that special candlelight service here on Christmas Eve. And uh, also, uh, I want you to know that there's a, a new devotional series up on our website and on our YouTube channel. Um, uh, many of you know that I put out a devotional, uh, a video devotional about three times a week. And uh, right now we are covering uh, the book of Ephesians. It, in fact, it's a little bit of a series, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and finally. Lehman, which were the letters that Paul wrote at the end of his um, uh, time in prison in Rome. And so out of the prison in Rome, he wrote these four letters, and that's what we're covering. So I'd encourage you to tune into that and be a part of that, be a part of those devotionals that get released. It's just a good way to stay growing in God's word and stay engaged in, uh, in Bible study and knowing him. Hard to believe that now our Christmas time. We have almost come to the end of 2020, which is just truly amazing to come to the end of it. Uh, there was a small boy and he was writing a letter and he decided to skip Santa. He wanted to go straight to God because he knew God was the one. You need to write to God. Don't waste your time writing a letter to Santa, he thought in his mind. And so he really wanted a new bike for Christmas and he started his letter to God. He said, dear God, I've been good for six months now and I really would like a new bike for Christmas. He thought about it for a few minutes. He crumpled up that piece of paper, threw it away, started a new piece of paper. Dear God, I've been really good for three months. I would really like a new bike for Christmas. He thought about it long and hard. He decided, no, that's not gonna work. He started over again. Dear God, I have been good for two weeks now. Please give me a new bike for Christmas. He again thought about it long and hard. Finally, he threw away that piece of paper, went to the family's nativity scene where he had saw the figurines of Joseph and Mary. He grabbed both of those figurines, took them back to himself, started the letter again. Dear God, if you ever hope to see your parents again, you will send me a new bike for Christmas. Now, I'd highly encourage that you do not take that, that tact when it comes to negotiating with God over things in life. Christmas, again, it's almost here. It has been a tough year. It's been a challenging year, year, yet now in Christmas, it is a time to do what it says on the screen. It's a time to rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice? Rejoice means to re-joy. What is rejoy? That is like a rerun. If you've ever watched TV and you've seen a rerun come on, it's a redoing of something that you've already seen. Rejoicing is a rejoying, getting your joy going again, getting your joy flowing again. That is what it means to rejoice, to redo your joy, to get your joy up again. 
At Christmas, especially this year, at Christmas season, it is time to get your joy going again. Because there have been many reasons to lose joy over the past year. If you watch the news events, the news cycle, if you see the things that are happening with the pandemic that is going on, it's a good reminder to get your joy going again because there's something bigger and there's something more at stake. Someone said and said very well these words, it is Christmas in the heart that puts Christmas in the air. Do you have Christmas in the heart? Are you rejoicing in heart in this season, during these events, during this time, getting your joy going again? Well, you may say, well, what reasons do I have to rejoice? Are there any reasons to rejoice? Well, let me tell you, there's some reasons of why we should rejoice. And the reasons that we have covered in this little mini series have been these, because Jesus is our hope. That's why we rejoice, because he's our hope. We also rejoice because Jesus is our joy. He is the source of joy. Today, we're going to learn this. We rejoice because Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. He is the source of peace. He is the source of hope. He is the source of joy. And that's why we have reason today in the midst of everything going on around us to rejoice. We rejoice because he's our hope, he's our joy, and he is our peace. Today I want to cover and go through with you some verses out of Isaiah chapter 9. These are verses that uh, the Feddersons read up here as they were sharing the Advent with us. But in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, we find one of the most incredible prophecies of the coming Messiah. Now let me give you a little bit of background so that you understand a little bit of the story in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written somewhere between 680 and 760 years before Jesus came on the scene. In the book of Isaiah, it was written by a guy by the name of Isaiah. He, he lived for, for many, many years. He served under several different kings that were alive. He served primarily, though, in Jerusalem under King Hezekiah. Now, under King Hezekiah, Isaiah served faithfully and loyally. Isaiah gave many, many visions that he had had of prophecy, coming future events. Now, Hezekiah's son... Um, Manasseh did not care for uh, Isaiah, and legend says that Isaiah was sawn in two at the order of Manasseh. Now, during the time of Isaiah, there were two kingdoms in the nation of Israel. Israel was a divided state, and it was divided from Israel in the north and Judah in the south. God had put up with people who were far from him for a long, long time. These people had gone into willful sin, and all of a sudden, around the time of Isaiah, there were many prophets that were springing up. They were contemporaries to or, or working with in the same time frame as Isaiah, and then there was Jeremiah who directly followed Isaiah. All of these different prophets were writing during that time. During Isaiah, you also have Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and Nahum that were at the same time as Isaiah was writing. During the time of Jeremiah, you also had Joel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai, and Zechariah. All in a little bit of a time frame of probably about 150 years, you had all of these writers writing together. What were they writing and what were they focused on? 
Well, they were focused on the fact that the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Judah were wicked. They were far from God. They had been walking in deliberate sin, and it had only been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And so God sent these prophets to warn them that a judgment was going to come. In fact, it was going to be multiple judgments that were going to come against the nation. God was not going to hold back the judgments. He was not going to intervene in the judgments. He was going to let the judgments happen because of the wickedness of the nation. They had started out following God, but over time they had become corrupt and the sin and the depravity had deepened greatly to the point that God finally said, I will no longer withhold judgment. Judgment will come against you. Now, that is a parallel in my mind of what is going on in our nation. That our nation started out following God. Now, we were, not everybody followed God, but a large majority followed God. But over time, sin has deepened. We have rejected God, and God will not hold back his judgment forever. So Isaiah was used by God to write some warnings, and the warnings would be these kind of warnings. Judgment is going to come. It's going to come in the form of the Assyrians and the Babylonians who are going to come in and they're going to devastate your nations and your country. They're going to lay siege. They're going to take you captive. It's going to be bad. It's going to come. Judgment's going to happen. But don't worry. It's not going to be this way forever. Because in the future, I will send one who will be the Messiah and he will restore all things. And then all of these writers also talked about what was called the eschatology. That is the end times events that in the end, God will restore everything. The eschatology will happen. So that is the background of Isaiah. Isaiah is writing to people who are willfully sinning, who are willfully walking away from God, who are deliberately turning their backs on God. He's saying the judgment will happen, but don't worry because in the future... There will be an incredible prophecy. An incredible thing will happen. The Messiah will come. Now, if I told you today something that I believe was going to happen next month, which I don't have anything, but let's just say, for example, I did. I told you what was going to happen next month, and it was very detailed, and it happened in one month from now exactly like I said it would happen on December 20th, 2020. If it happened, you would think, wow, that is incredible. You would think that is miraculous if I could project something and prophesy something like that. Almost 800 years, 750 years before Jesus came on the scene, there were prophecies about him that were fulfilled to the letter in his life. Why don't we believe more? When he fulfilled everything that God said would be fulfilled. Now, I want you to see what Isaiah says. This is verses that we've all heard before. You've seen it on Christmas cards. You just heard it in the Advent reading. But I want to show you this again, and I want you to think about this. What Isaiah is prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. Did Jesus fulfill what was prophesied? I believe with all my heart, yes, he did. Look at it together. Here's what it says. I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, and then 6 and 7. Let's look at this in light of what I just said. So God says this through Isaiah. 
He says, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, what is he saying? It's not going to always be bad. It's going to be bad for a while. Judgment is going to happen. It's going to devastate the nation, but it's not going to be that way forever. The gloom is not going to always be there. There is good news coming. It's going to come in the land of Galilee of the Gentiles. And here's the good news. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has shined. If you go back and read Matthew 4, that is exactly what Jesus fulfilled. A light dawned in Galilee of the Gentiles where Jesus started his ministry. Now, here's what Isaiah then goes on to say. For unto us a child will be born. Unto us a son will be given. And the government will be upon him, upon his shoulders, upon his name. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 750 years roughly before Jesus came on the scene, there was a prediction, and the prediction was this. There's going to be a son. He is going to be born. He is going to be given, and everything will find their source in him. He will be the source of all things in life. Everything will be upon his shoulders. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name is going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He will be the Prince of Peace. And of that peace, it will never end. That is who Jesus is, and that is who the Messiah was projected to be. As we get into this, let's pray and ask for God to bless this time. Father, help me today as I speak on your behalf about peace. Help us to understand and to know and to experience the peace that only you can provide. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And of your peace, it will never come to an end. Your peace will last for all eternity. Lord, help us now to understand your truth, speak to our hearts, and for those today who don't feel at peace, who aren't experiencing your peace, I pray that this would be the opportunity where they would experience it. Father, thank you for being with us. Teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want, to, I want to focus in on this idea. He is the prince of peace, and of his peace there will be no end. The idea of peace is very misunderstood in our world. A lot of people think that peace means safety, that peace means no more war. 
But that's not what peace means. Many people confuse the idea of peace with the idea of a truce. What is a truce? A truce means you lay down your firearms. We're not shooting at each other, but we still hate each other in our hearts. That's a truce. A truce happens all over the Middle East all the time. We have truce. We hate each other, but we're not going to kill each other for a while. That's what a truce is, but that's not the idea of peace. Peace is something very different. Peace is something that is in the heart. The word peace is not even the most biblical word. In fact, the word peace has been substituted for the real word that is there in the Hebrew language that is a more important word. The word peace in the Hebrew language is the word shalom. The word shalom, you've all heard that. You've probably heard greetings in it. If you've watched any news about Israel, that's a common greeting. They will say to one another, shalom. It's equivalent of our saying, hi, hello, how you doing? That's the equivalent of the word shalom. But that's not what God intended shalom to be. Because the word shalom means to be safe in mind, body, or estate, to have completeness, soundness, fullness, and wholeness. That's what shalom is. Shalom means that you feel complete, that you feel whole, that you experience soundness, that you experience fullness in life. If I asked you the question, just did a survey, how many of you that describes your life today? I, I, I don't know how many could actually and accurately say, yes, it does. Because most people would say, I don't feel complete. I don't feel full. I don't feel whole. I'm not experiencing what God wants me to experience when it comes to shalom. The idea of shalom, the true biblical shalom, refers to an inward sense inside you of completeness, fullness, wholeness, and contentment. It has nothing to do with the world. It has nothing to do with what's going on outside of you. It has nothing to do with your job, your family, or the things that you have or don't have. It has nothing to do with the political climate of today. Shalom is an internal sense of wholeness, completeness, fullness, and contentment. Do you have that kind of shalom in your life today? People are looking for this. This is what people are striving for. It's an unspoken thing that people are trying to get because most people at the core of who they are feel very, very empty. There's an emptiness that is going on a way that they feel that is really affecting them in a deep, profound way. I want to read an article to you, but I'm not going to read all the article. I just want to read some of the highlights to you that I read this past week. Here was the article from the past week, and the article title is this, the number of Americans that are depressed or considering suicide has soared because of the COVID lockdowns. Now, thankfully, we haven't experienced it to the same level and degree that they have experienced it in other parts of the country. But get that title in your mind. The number that are depressed or considering suicide has soared because of COVID. Uh, let me read just a couple of lines from this article. As we head into winter, Health authorities are telling us to stay home as much as possible and to keep contact with others at a minimum. 
They are telling us that we must do this for our own good. But the truth is that the mental health of the American people has been absolutely devastated by the various restrictions that have been imposed since the COVID pandemic first began. Coming into this year, suicide was at an all-time record high in the United States, and more Americans were on antidepressants than ever before. Unfortunately, the COVID lockdowns have made things even worse. There was a study in, a, in a, the, the psychiatric annals, and the study by independent researchers, not Christian in any way that I can determine, this is, has nothing to do with the church, but here's what they wrote in their study. The unfolding of the current coronavirus pandemic, the worst global public health crisis in recent history, has caused unprecedented medical, social, and economic upheaval across the globe and inflicted profound psychological pain on many people. The rapid spread of this highly contagious disease resulted in a host of mental health consequences. Now notice what they are. Feelings of uncertainty, sleep disturbances, anxiety, distress, and depression. The wide adoption of restrictive measures, although helpful in controlling the spread of the virus, inevitably resulted in psychological and financial costs that may have long-term psychological consequences. Do you understand what, what I just read? They're saying this, what's going on in our world has caused such a tremendous mental health crisis because as Americans and as global people, we are unable to handle this. Why? Because I am already empty on the inside. And when you lock down an empty person, it can have devastating effects in their lives. Now I wanna read just a couple of more, just bear with me as I read just a couple of more things. Here's what the article goes on to say. I was absolutely stunned, he, this author says, when I read that more than a quarter of all Americans aged 18 to 24 had seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. One quarter, 25% of those 18 to 24. Sadly, a lot of young people are acting out those thoughts. One, over one six-week period, one county in Pennsylvania had hundreds of patients come in due to self-injury or suicidal thoughts. Young children are being affected emotionally by the COVID pandemic as well. This week, a brand new study was released in the UK that found, quote, children's depression symptoms have increased substantially during the lockdowns. One final thing. But how does the church handle it? How are people in the church, how are followers of Christ dealing with this? It's the only group that is actually healthy. According to a Gallup poll released on Monday, those that are frequent church attendees were the only group in the United States that did not experience a mental health decline in 2020. The world has no peace. The world can offer no peace. The world provides emptiness. And many of us feel empty because we don't know where peace actually comes from. We look in all of the wrong places to find peace. Did you know that every person alive has a series of core needs that are there in their hearts? 
We have core needs that are these kind of things. Everyone who is alive, everyone who is born of all time across all parts of the world, including you and I here today, in your heart, you have these core needs. You have a need for love and acceptance. Do you know that everybody wants to be loved and accepted? It's a deep down desire within us. Every person has a need to be worthwhile and significant. We wanna be worthwhile, we wanna be significant. It's a deep core need within us. Every person wants to have peace and contentment. I wanna have peace in my life. I wanna feel that fullness. I wanna feel that, that sense of uh, completeness in my life. I wanna have contentment in my life. Every person has a need for belonging and connection. Every person has a need for hope and joy. And you know what happens when we don't have those things met? Instead of feeling loved and accepted, we feel unlovable and unacceptable. Instead of feeling worthwhile and significant, we feel worthless and insignificant. Instead of feeling peace and contentment, we feel distress, emptiness, and discontentment. Instead of feeling belonging and connection, we feel loneliness, heartache, depression, and disconnection. Instead of feeling hope and joy, we feel hopeless and joyless. What will satisfy those kind of things? Well, that is the idea behind the word shalom. That is the thing that Jesus brings that satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. And if we don't experience that, we won't experience all that God has wanted us to experience in life. And so I just want to look at two things as we wrap up this morning. I want to look at the source of peace, and I want to look at the supply of peace. Let's start with the source of peace. Where does this kind of peace? So Jesus, it says in Isaiah 9 that he will be, he will be the prince of peace. Of his peace, there will be no end. Where does the source of peace come from? Where does that fullness, that wholeness, that completeness, that contentment, where does that shalom come from? Well, like I have said in this entire three-week series, it does not come from money. The source of peace does not come from power. It does not come from influence. It does not come from materialism. It does not come from knowledge. It doesn't come from relationships. It doesn't come from satisfying any lustful desires that you may have. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tried all of those things and he said it's all meaningless. It did not provide for him what he was looking for. It did not provide him the source of peace. Now. I gave you a prophecy in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. I want to give you a second prophecy written almost at the same time as, uh, of Isaiah, and that's in the person of Micah. Micah would have been one of the ones that was a prophet at the same time that Isaiah was in a different location. And here is what Micah writes. He's going to say, look, you're going to have judgment, but don't worry because there's hope. There's hope coming. Look what he says. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which you've heard before, but I want to read the other verses because I don't know if you've heard those. Look at what it says. Here's the prophecy. Again, 675, 775 years before Jesus was on the scene. But you, Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. 
So, so what is that the equivalent of? That would be like the equivalent of me saying out of, out of the town of, uh, of Sundance, there is going to be somebody born who's going to save the world. That's kind of what the equivalent would be. Out of you, Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was a small, little, hole-in-the-wall kind of place. It was insignificant. It was very, very tiny. Out of you, Bethlehem, even though you're tiny, that's where the one is going to come who will be the ruler. In other words, that's where the Messiah will come from. And this one who will come, his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The one that's going to be born is somebody who has been there all the time, which doesn't make any sense. How could somebody be born yet always have existed unless it was God? Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. What does that mean? God is going to give up this nation, in other words, let the nation have the consequences, go through the things that they need to go through until the time that the Messiah is born. Then, when the Messiah is born, the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And the one that is going to be born shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And I want you to notice this last, this last phrase. And this one shall be peace. Look at that. And this one, who is the one? The one who will be born. Where will he be born? In Bethlehem. What will he do? He will save the world. He will feed his flock. He will be the one from everlasting. Everybody will return to him. That's what he's going to do. This one shall be peace. Now that's out of the New King James Version. In the NIV version, it says it this way, and he will be our peace. In the NLT, it says, and he will be the source of peace. In the TLV, the Tree of Life version, this one shall be shalom. Jesus will be, it says, the source. He will be the shalom. What is a source? A source is the origin. It is the supply. It's the starting point. It's the fountainhead. It's the wellspring. It is the source of everything in life. You cannot find peace apart from Jesus. Biblical peace, that is. You could have truces. You could have fake peace. But the source of peace is only the Messiah. It is only Jesus. He is the supply of everything. Now, let, let me give you an illustration that I think helps to understand this and make, makes this a little bit more clear. Um, this past week, I... Uh, our microwave went out, which is always a pain when an appliance goes out. And so you got to go buy a new appliance. It's a microwave that goes over the stove. And so we went shopping, Jennifer and I, we got our new microwave and I had to come home and then put this micro microwave in place. Now, thankfully, as I measured the new microwave, it did fit in the opening, but also thankfully, none of the holes that were previously drilled actually matched up to the new microwave. So I had to drill all new holes in all of that process. So 
I got out my handy drill, my, my drill that, uh, that I use, handy drill, and I got the drill bit in, and I went to start drilling the, drilling the holes to put the new microwave up, and as soon as I pulled the trigger, the drill bit spun about half of a turn and then died because the battery was completely dead. Do you know that that tool is a useful tool, it is a helpful tool, it is a tool that I use often, it seems like, around the house, but the tool is absolutely no good if the source, the battery, is dead. If you don't have a charged battery, then the tool cannot operate functionally the way that it is intended to function. Do you know that you and I are tools? Not in a weird way, tools like you hear it on TV, but we are tools. We are tools in God's hands. But we cannot be used by God in the way we were intended to be used if we don't have a battery that is the source. Jesus is the battery to your heart. He is the battery to your life. And your job is to be recharged by him, to be connected to him, to allow him to charge you up so that you can function as he intends for you to function. That is the source of life. It is the source of peace. It is through God and God alone. John 14, 27, Jesus says, look, shalom, I leave you. Complete wholeness. I leave it to you. My shalom, I give to you. I'm not giving it as the world gives, though, Jesus says. How does the world give it? It's empty. It means nothing. I'm not going to give you empty peace. I'm not going to give you that kind of peace. I'm going to give you my peace because Jesus says, I am the source of peace. So don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. Jesus is the source of all peace. You cannot have peace apart from him. And so daily, are you surrendering your life to him? Are you seeking him? Are you recharging your battery by being in his word, by being in prayer, by being in fellowship with other believers? That's how you charge up your life, and that is how you experience the peace of God. He is the source of peace. Ephesians 2, it says, But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. He is our shalom. He is our completeness. The one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Jesus is the source of our peace. We want peace. We want to feel complete. We want to feel full. We want to feel contentment. We want the wholeness that only he can provide. Then go to him for the source because you can't find it any other way. He came to be the prince of peace. In him is peace. He is the source of peace. He is the beginning. He is the supply. He is the fountainhead. He is the source of all peace that we seek. Now, what about the supply of peace? How do I experience it? Let me just run through this really quickly. How do you experience peace in your life today? Here's how. How do you charge your battery? How do you find and connect to the battery? How do you experience and keep the supernatural peace of God? Well, here's how. One, seek God's peace. What does that mean? Seek means pursue it, want it desire it, look for it in him, and quit looking for it in ways that will never satisfy. You know, many of us look for peace, but we look in ways that will never satisfy. Some of you think, well, you know, I don't feel peace, so I know what I'll do. I'll divorce my spouse, and I'll find a new spouse. Then I'll feel peace. 
Or you think, well, I'll, I know, I don't have peace, so I, I know what I'll do. I'll quit my job and I'll find a different job because that different job obviously will give me peace. I know, I'll sell my house and I'll buy a new house because then I'll have peace. I'll sell my car, I'll buy a new car. I'll, in, I'll, I'll invest, I'll take on a second job. I'll do whatever I can to find peace. Those don't provide it. Seek God's peace. Psalm 34 says this, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Pursue after it, want it, desire it, long for it, look for it. That's how you get peace. You seek after God's peace. Second thing is this, it is to receive God's peace. Not only do you seek God's peace, but you've got to receive God's peace. To receive means to accept it. It's like at Christmas time, somebody gives you a gift, and your choices when you get the gift are to either reject the gift or receive the gift. The gift that is given has to be received. It has to be accepted. I want this gift. I will receive the gift. I will accept the gift. Psalm 29, it says, the Lord will give. He's giving it. He'll give strength to his people, and he's going to bless his people with peace. It's going to come from God. It's going to come to you. Will you accept it? Seek his peace. Accept his peace. Number three, keep God's peace. What does it mean to keep? It means to hang on to it. Don't take it for granted. Don't let it just slip out of your fingers because you've pursued something else. Hang on to it. Keep it. Isaiah 26, look at what it says. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I keep my mind on him, thereby keeping the peace that he is offering to me. Number four, you embrace God's peace. Embrace it means like, like if you're, if you're uh, floating in the ocean the ship went down, you're floating in the ocean, there's a storm raging, but there's a life preserver and you are hanging on to that life preserver with all of your might that is embracing it. You're holding it, you're hanging on to it. You hang on to peace like you would hang on to a life preserver to keep you afloat in life. 2020 has been like a storm at sea. For many people, the ship has gone down and the only thing they have to hang on to is Christ himself. Hang on, embrace that peace. John 16, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. I'm the source, I've given it to you. In me you can have peace. In the world, you, you're gonna have troubles. You're gonna have tribulation. You're gonna have hard times, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And what have I done in my overcoming of the world? I've given you my peace. I gave it to you. All you have to do is hang on to it. Finally, remain in God's peace. Remain in it. Continue in it. Abide in it. Colossians 3.15 says, And the peace of God, and let the peace of God, rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. This peace doesn't focus on the absence of trouble, it is unrelated to our circumstances. It is a goodness of life that is not touched by what is going on in the world around me. Daily peace can be stolen. 
unless you are somebody who is willing to remain in it. It only takes a glance at the world, a glance at the news, a glance at society, or a mounting to-do list of things that are going on in your life to cause restlessness and anxiety to rise up and peace to be gone. So how do I overcome that? I have to remain in it. It is crucial that we allow the peace of God to rule our hearts. Philippians 4, 7, and I'll close with this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, that's how God's peace works. God's peace is different from the world. The world says, do our system in order to get peace, but it will never satisfy. You'll always be empty. You'll always be wanting. You'll always be looking for more. The world system does not work. So Jesus says, look, I am the source of peace. It's everything you need. It's everything you're looking for. It will make you complete, whole, full, content. It's everything in life. Look to me for that. And if you will look to me for that, and you will keep my peace, remain in my peace, abide in my peace, hang on to my peace, if you will do that, then I promise I will guard your heart, and I will guard your mind, and I will help you through whatever it is that you're battling in life. As we enter into the Christmas season, and we have lived through a crazy year, some have been more affected than others. Some have had more devastation than others. We may experience even more than we are experiencing today. Who knows what the future is going to hold? But we've experienced a crazy year. And what we need more than anything is the hope, the joy, and the peace that God provides. When you have that, you can face anything that the world throws at you. That's what matters. That's what's important. And that's what will get you through every day of life, no matter what comes our way. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to experience the peace of God that, that only you can provide. Help us to experience and enjoy the peace that comes from you as you are our source. You are the one that provides. You're the battery that charges our souls. Lord, help us to go to you in order to be recharged. Help us to commit, Lord, to being in your word, to being in prayer, to fellowshipping with others. Help us to commit to having our batteries recharged from you because you are our peace. I want to thank you, Father, that all that we are looking for in life is not found in this world. It is found in a relationship with Jesus. And this Christmas season, we can experience that. We can, by faith, come to you in relationship. Lord, for those in this room today that feel unlovable, unaccepted, those that feel worthless and insignificant, those that feel a lack of peace, those that feel discontent, Father, those that feel joyless and hopeless, who feel lonely and disconnected, I pray, Lord, that they would look to you as the source of peace. You are our hope, you are our joy, and you are our peace. And this Christmas season, though we have been a weary world, there is reason to rejoice. Because you have loved us, 
You've sent your son for us and we have from you a peace that will never end. Father, bless us. Be with us now and help us to honor and praise your name. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.